You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, like I say, last week Sam introduced uh, our preaching series for for February uh, entitled I Heart This Place. And for those who are not familiar with, uh, you know, Facebook lingo, this is I love this place, the beating, the beating heart, you see. And, and it's, it's really a series. It's based on the book of James. And it's really, it's about, it's about the things that, can be, that, that you can really love and appreciate about the church, the body of Christ. And, and tonight, the, uh, the sub-theme is uh, the thing that we're looking at tonight is it's a, a place of equals, <laughs> It's a place of equals. There's, no, there's meant to be no discrimination, no prejudice in the body of Christ. And this may have been a problem. In fact, quite clearly, it was a problem in the early church. Because a man like James, and that's the book, as I mentioned, that we're looking at throughout this series. James addresses this problem fairly strongly. Uh, we're going to read tonight from uh, the second chapter of his letter, uh, verses 1 to 7. Look at this. My friends, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Suppose a rich man wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, comes to your meeting and a poor man in ragged clothes also comes. If you show more respect to the well-dressed man and say to him, have this best seat here, but say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit here on the floor by my feet, then you are guilty of creating distinctions among yourselves and of making judgments based on evil motives. Listen, my dear friends, God chose the poor people of this world to be rich in faith and to possess the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you dishonour the poor. Who are the ones who oppress you and drag you before the judges, the rich? They're the ones who speak evil of that good name which has been given to you. Guys, that's a pretty confronting reading, isn't it? It's fairly provocative. That requires a little bit of unpacking. Got a question for you. When was the last time that you felt left out? When was the last time that you were made to feel inferior? When was the last time that you were, that you were on the outer, unaccepted, and you kind of felt it? It might have been done in... Subtle ways may not have been all that overt, but you felt it. Sometimes as a preacher, you get the opportunity to show a clip from one of your favourite movies. And it's your prerogative to do it. And uh, tonight, tonight from one of my favourite movies, uh, Meet the Parents, a little clip which uh, I think will, if you're sort of thinking when was the last time, this may uh, sort of uh, remind you of maybe a similar instance to yourself. Have a look at this. Jinxie cat, jinxie cat, where are you? I love you. Hey, hey, look who's up. Hello. Oh, look, somebody had a little visit from the hair fairy. Nice too, nice too. Hey, okay. I'll do the intros, Greg. This is my sister, Debbie. Hi. Oh, it's a bride to be. Nice to meet Congratulations. You. And her fiance, Dr. Bob. Oh, you call me Bob. MD. <laughs> <laughs> These are his parents. 
Miss Linda Banks. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet and you. And the world famous plastic surgeon, uh, Dr. Larry. Oh, oh now cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You know, Greg's in medicine too, Larry. Oh, really? Yeah. What feeling? Uh, nursing. <laughs> That's good. Uh, no, really. Uh, what feeling? Nursing. Hey, why don't I get you a chair, Greg? Thank you. Thanks. So, you didn't want to go for the MD? No, I actually thought about becoming a doctor, but I decided it wasn't for me. Oh, thanks. Just as well. Boards are killer. Actually, Greg aced his MCATs. You serious? No, I did okay. Oh, he did more than okay, trust me. Why did you take the test if you weren't planning on going to med school? Well, I wanted to keep my options open, but in the end, nursing was just a better fit for me. It gives you the freedom to work in several different areas of medicine. Plus, I can focus 100% on patient care as opposed to being a doctor where you have to deal with the bureaucracy. Uh, oh, wasn't your friend Andy supposed to be here by now? <gasps> oh, oh, my God. I, I thought Deb told you. Uh, Dr. Andy threw out his back. He can't oh, make the no. wedding. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, damn. Well, now I have to reconfigure the whole procession. Um, Bob, why doesn't uh, uh, Greg stand in for Andy? Be the usher. Oh. No, Pam, no. No, that'll be fine. Bob, Greg will be your second usher. Good. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Good. All right. Well, let's all finish up and get ready to go because we have a pre-activity briefing in about 32 minutes. Oh, oh 32 minutes. Mm. They're really, you know what, in that case, I'd better get upstairs and uh, pay a little visit to the shower fairy. Dina, thank you so much shower. for rejecting yeah, it's a kind of a nasty feeling, isn't it, when you're sort of uh, in company where you're being made to feel... Uh, very much on the outer. Uh, I can remember a time, I was nine years of age when I first had that sort of experience. And uh, at nine, you know, you're very vulnerable and you want inclusion, you want acceptance. And our family moved around quite a bit. We had been living on the Blue Mountains in Glenbrook and we moved to the city. And for a little while I had to stay with my grandma, our whole family did, down in uh, Pagewood. And I went to a school in the middle of the year. Have any of you joined a school midway through the year? It's a really bad time to join because everybody's got their friends and so I can remember coming into this class and look I don't know what it was I never ever I can still recall the feelings I never felt accepted in that class I uh, kids were mean to me kids uh, were poking fun at me uh, and uh, tonight I'm going to actually name and shame that school because uh, because of the emotional pain because of some of the Scarring, which even to this day affects me in terms of my uh, appearance in front of large groups uh, and my ability to speak in public. So uh, that school, guys, was Daceyville Primary, about 25 minutes drive from here, uh, just south of Kingsford. And look, I don't know what it was about me then, but I just never, ever got off the ground in the one term that, that I was there. And uh, I'm just wondering what it is that might be coming to your mind uh, in, in a similar way. Um, some discrimination is based, as James says, on looks and appearance. Uh, I learnt the inadequacy of that long ago when I was in college. Uh, I used to work at a, a, a furniture shop, a prestige furniture shop in Melbourne. I worked there Friday nights and all day Saturday. And uh, it was a great, I mean, a lot of my colleagues were doing uh, 
working in gardens and picking up rubbish and stuff. I was selling prestige furniture. It was a tremendous opportunity. And uh, as the, the only part-timer in the whole store, I would get all the customers that none of the professional salesmen wanted. And I remember one particular Friday night, a guy drove into the car park and we used to have full view of all the customers. This guy drove in in a ute. He got out, he had a flannelette shirt, he had shorts, he had work boots. And I remember the chief salesman said, uh, Agnew, this one is for you. He's going to be a real doozy. Uh, because most of the people were coming from Malvern and Turak and these kind of places because the shop was located in Glen Iris. So this guy was a little bit different to the kind of people who were normally coming through. I was a part-timer. I was full of enthusiasm. I had nothing to lose. I went up, greeted the guy. Pretty, pretty hard to engage him. We kind of wandered around the various displays. It was a massive showroom. And uh, he didn't show a lot of interest, but I was trying to point out the features of this lounge suite and that dining. He he wanted to see everything. At the end, he just said this. He said, you know what? My daughter's getting married in about three months' time. I want to set her up. He said, we need to walk around again because I've picked out the dining room suite, the lounge suite, the kitchen suite and the bedroom suite that I want to buy for her. That was the biggest sale in the store of that week. And, you know, you just cannot. So those guys kind of uh, learnt a a little bit of a lesson, as I'm sure many of us have. Guys, prejudice, favouritism, discrimination. It happens in 101 different ways. But Jesus Christ sees things very differently. Jesus Christ has a very different perspective on things. And with its unequivocal emphasis on justice, on grace, on hope, forgiveness and dignity, Christianity affirms the intrinsic or the essential nature or value and and quality of all people, irrespective of race, colour, creed and class. You know, behind most of the initiatives, most of the initiatives throughout history to achieve justice, equality and human rights for powerless people, there's been someone or some group of people with hearts breaking with Christ-like compassion. I'm talking about the abolition of slavery. I'm talking about the, the, the civil rights movement in the United States and in other parts of the world. I'm talking about the origins of most of the large aid agencies. Most of them can be traced back to people who were gripped with a sense of Christ-like compassion and wanted to make a difference. And much of the inspiration for these initiatives has come from the teaching of the Bible. The example of Jesus Christ, books like James, this one we're looking at in this series, which, uh, which acknowledges and recognises that the Christian church doesn't always get it right. They had problems back there. James addresses his letter primarily to new Christians drawn from the ancient Jewish religion where wealth and power and prestige were directly linked to piety and holiness. In other words, the wealthier and more influential you were, the more it was considered you were in touch with God, the more you were being blessed by God. That's how it was in those days. I mean, what was, what was at the heart of most of the conflict that Jesus experienced with the religious leaders of the day, many of whom were fabulously wealthy? What was at the heart of the conflict? The fact that he gave attention He ministered, he took time to care for the people they had written off. The people that they regarded as absolutely worthless. The dregs of society. Jesus spent a lot of his time with those people and that's when he incurred the wrath and the indignation of the religious leaders. 
And it would seem that some of the early converts to Christianity in the first century, they were bringing some of these attitudes over with them into Christianity. That's why James hits this theme so hard. Let me read again verses two to four. Suppose a rich man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes to your meeting and a poor man in ragged clothes also comes. If you show more respect to the well-dressed man and say to him, have this best seat here, but say to the poor man, stand over there or sit on the floor by my seat, then you are guilty of creating distinctions among yourselves and are making judgments based on evil motives. Guys, I want to leave you with several things that you can really think about tonight based on this fairly confronting passage. Three things to provoke further thought and certainly you're going to pick this up those of you in the connection groups that's the theme for this week first one is this there's a powerful truth here there's a very powerful truth in this passage our God is not one who occasionally reaches down to the poor and the disenfranchised and the powerless just to get his picture on the front page of a a social magazine like that's that's not the nature of our God he's not pragmatic like that He actually became a poor, disenfranchised, weak and powerless person. He came to us as a baby, born to very poor parents. Theologians call it the incarnation. God with us. And this truth is at the heart of the Christian message. God became like us, weak and powerless in the most extreme way. Paul picks up on this in Philippians. He says this in chapter 2. He, Jesus, always had the nature of God, but did not think that by force he should try to become equal with God. Instead of his own free will, he gave up all he had. Gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like man and appeared in human likeness. He was humble. He walked the path of obedience all the way to death. His death on the cross. Guys, the greatest tribute paid to the value of a human soul, of a human being, is the fact that God Almighty chose deliberately, intentionally, to become one of us in the person of Jesus. That's the greatest tribute to the value of humanity. Here's the second thing I want to leave you with. There's a proven reality in this passage, a proven reality. God does some of his very best work among people who, through physical and spiritual poverty, recognise and acknowledge their need of him. He does some of his best work when people acknowledge and recognise their need of him, born out of, in some cases, physical but in other cases, a combination of physical and spiritual poverty. You see, in that situation, there's an openness. There's a, a level of vulnerability. There's a, an attitude of submission on the part of someone who's not dependent on arrogant self-sufficiency. That's what James is getting at. Of Jesus, it was said, the common people, meaning the poor, ordinary, downtrodden people, the common people heard him gladly. They could resonate with what he was saying and the way he was putting the great truths of his gospel. You see, he offered hope. He offered new beginnings. He offered grace. He offered life. It was Jesus who said, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
And he was referring to those prepared to acknowledge their need, either arising out of physical poverty or arising out of spiritual poverty. Those who recognise their need of forgiveness, their need of help, their need of a saviour. Here's the third thing. A pernicious misunderstanding. Oh, that's a big word, Pastor Graham. Uh, Well, uh, it is a big word for a Sunday night. Pernicious means very harmful, potentially destructive. What is this potentially harmful misunderstanding? It's this, that Jesus and the church have a hang-up about wealth and money. That's a very potentially harmful misunderstanding and one which has encroached in many branches of the church over the years and one which is put forward today uh, in an effort to make those who, who are people of means make them feel very uncomfortable and very squirmy. Somebody says, well, after all, doesn't the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? Well, no, it doesn't actually say that. It says the love of money is the root, the source of all evil. It's the love of money. If you depend on it, if you're obsessed by it, if you'll do anything to get it, if you make it your God, if you become arrogantly self-sufficient because of the size of your bank account, it will be a source of evil for you because you will be unable to reach out out of a sense of need and grasp God's gift of grace. That's when it is an evil force. Because you cannot be, as Jesus describes, one who is poor in spirit. Jesus associated with rich people. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. He didn't make apology for it. He told stories of banquets, of lavish weddings, of large land holdings. He didn't say, oh, there was a man with a... who." Owned a large farm. Oh, only joking. Sorry, (laughs) don't want to offend anybody. Jesus understood. There were people who, by virtue of their giftedness and by virtue of their abilities, just seemed to make a lot of money or make money. He understood that. Here at Northside, we wouldn't have enjoyed anywhere near the effectiveness in ministry we have if it wasn't for some of our people with the means to give who were willing to give, who were prepared to let God touch their wallet, touch their bank account, like we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for some of those people. And many ministries are here serving and witnessing today because there are people who support them with incredible, incredible generosity. And sometimes it's a sort of an inconsistency when people who want to really get stuck into the rich are the first to come to them when they need something. (laughs) There's a real inconsistency there, which I've never fully understood. So when James talks about rich people, it's not with the idea of exclusion. It's with the idea of no favouritism. That's it. As Paul puts it in Galatians, there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and free, between men and women. All are one. This was pre the emancipation of slavery back in the first century. But Paul makes the point, all are one. It was the beginnings of a movement that would eventually have an incredible effect on slavery in America and in in other parts of Europe. All are one in union with Christ Jesus. Guys, the church is meant to be free of prejudice. It is meant to be free of discrimination. It is meant to be free of favouritism and preferential treatment. Has it achieved that? No, 
No. Some of the most insidious forms of discrimination can actually be attributed to very misguided theology. That's been one of the sad aspects of history. Has the church achieved this yet? No. Will it achieve it this side of heaven? No. But our individual churches like Northside and so many others, are we trying to express a level of unity and togetherness and oneness in pursuit of kingdom objectives? You bet we are. We certainly are. There's a huge diversity in this church, socially, economically, in terms of the size of bank balance. You've got to be, I guess, in a position of a pastor to just understand that and know that. It's amazing. The diversity in this church is it's breathtaking. Ethnic backgrounds, intellectual capacity. It's one aspect of the church that I personally treasure most of all. It's one of the aspects of this ministry that just excites me the most. Are we free of the potential for exclusivity? Never. We've got to be vigilant. But are we working in, in harmony across the generations, across the, the social the social standings and we're working together in pursuit of kingdom goals, we certainly are. The question tonight is, are you part of Christ's army? That's the question I want to ask you. Are you part of Christ's army? Have you joined the ranks of those seeking to fight injustice, inequality, prejudice, partiality? Have you joined the ranks? Are you part of this worldwide movement whose founder spoke ever so strongly against this sort of thing, who modelled a way of life that, that included everybody. Have you joined his army? Are you working for inclusion and togetherness in all the levels, in all the areas of your world? You can join or you can recommit. You can join for the first time or you can recommit tonight. The invitation we extend here every Sunday night is to become a Christian. It's as simple as that. Are you a Christian? Would you like to become a Christian? And very shortly when we start to sing and we'll have some ministry time up the back, it's your opportunity to come forward and simply say, you know what, I don't understand at all, but I've seen in that baptism tonight something has spoken to me in the songs tonight and the prayers and uh, even something what you said in those last few moments kind of grabbed my attention. I'd like to start the journey. I, I don't know exactly where it's going to lead, but if you tell me that God will meet me more than halfway, I'm ready to take the first step. That's basically what we're asking for tonight. I've got a, a moment from my life which um, some of you have heard before but many of you haven't and to me I was thinking about it during the week and it's the moment which I guess more than any other moment of my life encapsulates a lot of what James is trying to say. The fact is like some of you I've been to some of the greatest churches in the world. I've had the privilege of preaching in a couple of them in America that are just awe-inspiring in, in terms of their uh, influence on the world. But probably the greatest church I've ever been to was a church in the slums of Mumbai, in Bombay, in 1997. And we gathered in a, a little room that wouldn't have even been as big as our boardroom. About 60 people gathered in there on the floor. And we sang, we prayed, we praised. And these people exhibited a level of joy and faith that I have rarely seen. It was so touching. It was, it was the kind of stuff that moved you to tears. And we, we left that little church and um, within 24 hours, the pastor uh, got in touch with us. He said, um, 
Guys, can I just ask you to go into the, into the slums just one more time? There's a lady who desperately wants to meet you. There was myself, the head of our overseas mission board, uh, or uh, missions uh, work in Church of Christ, as it was then, and a journalist who we, we talked to produce a, She produced a, a video of the whole experience. He said, look, I know you've, you've got a busy schedule. Could you come back? Because you've got a great, a great story to tell. We went back to this little tiny um, house deep in the slums of Mumbai, and... Uh, just, it was just so tiny. This, this lady, a single mother, had raised two boys in a room that, like I'm ashamed to say, would be barely two-thirds the size of my office. And uh, she was a gracious lady. She was so excited. Her story was, she said, I came to Jesus in this church 19 years ago. You are the first Australians I've met. And I want to just say thank you to you and thank you to all of Australia for establishing the Christian Centre of Bombay, as it was then, where she had come to Christ. And then they planted a church in the slums. Now, she didn't say it like that, right? She's talking through a, an interpreter. But she's got a big smile on her face. And we're sitting on the floor and we begin to enjoy her hospitality. And she, uh, she then said to the uh, interpreter that she'd like to give us a little, a little gift, a little hospitality gift. And she had these beautiful stainless steel beakers lined up on this little bench. And... Uh, she had a beautiful pitcher of water and she said she wanted to give us some water. It was a hot day and wanted to refresh our, just refresh us. And we had survived two weeks in India because we never touched the local water. And, uh, and then, of course, I've since seen Slumdog Millionaire where they kind of re-glue the tops and, hello. Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't even know about that, thank goodness. Uh, but we'd only ever had the bottled water, see? So I looked across at uh, Jeff, my colleague, and he just went, don't touch it, mate. I mean, not like the say, just said, no way. We looked outside of her. There was a pool out there where the mosquitoes were jumping in such a way as it, it just looked like rain was falling. Like, this is the worst housing area I've ever been in. And the slums of Mumbai, if you've seen Slumdog, it is one of the worst in the world. And so um, I don't know what he said to her, but it, it was obvious that, it was disappointing for her that we wouldn't take part in hospitality. And we felt shocking. Here's a lady saying, you know, you, you Australians, out of your wealth, you established a church. I now know Jesus. I just want to give you this. So we, it was a, a very awkward moment. And then a few moments later, as we were preparing to leave, one of the two boys from this family came back into this little tiny home with three icy cold bottles of Pepsi, which they took the tops off, one for Jeff, one for me, one for this girl. We felt shocking because this guy had gone out to one of the little traders and he bought these. We estimated later she was an ironer, lots of ironing ladies in India. That's why their clothes are so nicely pressed. We estimated later that that probably cost her around about possibly up to two and a half days of her salary in rupees. Now, guys, I've never been to the home of a total stranger in any church of the world where within moments of meeting me, somebody's given me the equivalent of half their wages. It just never happened before. So that moment, I'll let you fill in all the pieces and join the dots, but that speaks to me something about how it's meant to be in the kingdom of God. Out of the wealth of Australia, we established that church. That lady came to Christ and through her spiritual openness, 
she taught me and the other two a lesson in humility and generosity and commitment and faith that I will never forget. And James says, that's what God's done to the poor. He's given them a kind of a beauty, a special openness to him that enables them to minister to us. We don't go and minister to the poor. They minister to us. We're changed in the contact we have with them. And that's not meant to make us feel bad, but it is meant to make us learn and grow through their example. Are you on the team of Jesus tonight? You can make a difference in the world. That's what we're aiming to do. Let's bow in prayer.